0: Welcome along to another episode of the Make Life Work Podcast. I am Sai Jobling at Sai on Twitter and for this series I will be talking to people from around the tech scene about balancing work, life health and side projects. This week I've invited along Mike Hintz, a freelance product designer from Shrewsbury in the UK. Mike and I both go way back to the Birmingham tech scene, mostly conversing online and with mutual friends, but I've both moved to other nearby regions since. I've long been a fan of Mike's work, especially some of his side projects, which we'll talk about later. Fitness is also a big thing for Mike this year, so all in all, he seemed like another ideal candidate to chat with on the Make Life Work podcast. Let's get into it. Welcome along, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How's you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. So, yeah, I thought you'd be great to chat to. Thanks for giving up the time. I know it's tricky to fit in.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm pleased to be here.
0: That's cool. Um, so do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, what you do for a living, and maybe a little bit about how you got there?
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been a designer since the days of college. Um, I graduated. I did a graphic design um, in h and I my first job was designing physical products for like collectibles for like star wars lord of the rings you know trading cards pokemon you sort of stuff all, all that kind of fun entertainment products and over the years kind of we worked on so many huge projects and i was very lucky to work on some really cool stuff and, and meet some celebrities along the way which was sort of an added bonus and um How I ended up becoming a product designer or UI, UX designer these days was in the early days, which was I started a side project, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk to a game called directional. And that kind of opened up my portfolio into a way where my previous paying clients that were, you know, sort of more graphic design like brochures and print-based stuff started to see the fact that I was moving into digital and it all of a sudden it took off and you know now I'm a very busy product designer and you know enjoy every day working for myself.
0: So you come from a, a physical media background I guess like actual printed product design
1: Well I wanted to be a designer um, in the early days because I really didn't want a proper job and (laughs) that is actually the 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 truth and um, I remember my portfolio at the time when I went for the graphic design ND interview was basically um, uh, a portfolio of drawings of cats and stuff and like uh, it's not even a lie you know like if you want to be a designer obviously you need that kind of um, creativity but you know, you can get started very quickly. And even now, you know, with the amount of stuff online, it's so easy to get into, but you know, obviously you do need that natural flair. And um, product design, the physical product design side of things was, you know, it was a bit of a lucky break because my first job was an old tutor of mine. And um, I bumped into him in the street as I was walking to basically sign onto the dole because it was just going horribly and it was really hard to get a job after college bumped into him and he was like I need an extra pair of hands come along and you know that that ran on for about six or seven years before the company we were working for collapsed and we were made redundant and then I decided that I would go freelance and that was 11 years ago now so um yeah I've been out on the fringes of freelance for sort of a long time over a decade
0: wow so, so you've been doing digital freelance for over 10 years now then
1: yeah as I said earlier it started as um, print um, but digital in terms of app, I mean I was always designing websites so I guess you could say I was a, a digital designer but in terms of actually um, doing app design we're probably looking about six or seven years now I would have thought
0: so yeah, during that wave of new, there's a, a massive interest in like app design at that point, I guess it was, it was the early date. It was after the web 2.0 era, but more mobile apps are taking off and web apps are definitely a thing. So how did you decide that app design was your thing rather than just typical web design? How do you distinguish the two as well?
1: I've always liked technology, so... I've always been interested in new gadgets and I think we're both very lucky to grow up in an era where technology has boomed really with you know Apple and all sorts of you know various innovators so I knew that I was always interested in it and when I was doing traditional graphic design I didn't necessarily find it interesting but the the UX side of things and you know how things worked really always interested me so what I really sort of like relish when I work on projects is, you know, I was always been really good with talking to people um, from my early days of working at on the tills at Toys R Us. I would, basically have to talk to everybody you know like you know h- thousands of people a day you'd have to talk to them and, and create conversation and that is a really nice thing about ux design and product design in general is you do have to talk to people and really get into their head space about w- what it is they're planning to build and why they're doing it and all those reasons so um from that side of things it's kind of like you know part tech part people you know it's just a nice balance and I just feel very comfortable with it it's also you know like web design is very maths related so you with prints you can go wrong you know like I've printed stuff that was in Toys R Us for years and years with spelling mistakes and you know it's very easy to fix in digital and I think that is one of my biggest takeaways is you know it doesn't have to be right first time and that is part of my playful
0: nature I guess. That's a fair point, actually. I think, like you say, when you're working in the real world, you've got to get it right first time because people will notice if you don't, and it's very difficult to correct. Yeah. Whereas in digital world, it, it's a lot easier. I wouldn't say it's easy, perfect. I mean, video or photos. Once they're out, they're gone. They're not yours anymore. Yeah. But with web design, app design, you can iterate. You can make, make improvements along the way, and people are mindful that bugs can creep through. Yeah, definitely. That's cool, man. Uh, it's interesting how you've always had that people focus as well going back to your Toys R Us days as you talked about and then you kept that through you know working with people.
1: I think it's really important as a freelancer to be able to communicate with people because I've had lots of you know inquiries through on the telephone and quite a lot of the clients I've worked with have become really good friends of mine because you know I'm I'm really honest and personal with people and I think it's um I think people when they're spending money with you they want to know the real you and um it's just really part of I guess some of my success is being really honest with people and kind of you know like telling it how it is and you know just being the best person you can be <laughs> not always though
0: definitely not always well no i think we can all be uh at fault for that sometimes but it's, it's, it's a fair point i think being authentic is crucial to success in life um you've mentioned a few times that you, you're a freelance um and you've obviously got your own working conditions can you talk us through your typical working day what sort of hours you do where you work maybe some of the clients that you've worked with as well, the type of clients?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm really fortunate, again, that I can pick and choose my hours, although I do typically stick to sort of like between eight and four or nine and five i i it's standard working day really because that's usually when my clients are around although you know when i'm working with american clients or you know uh, i've worked with people in singapore and dubai and you know all over the world really australia um it, it can be more challenging to get the time you need with the client but it's more doable so being flexible is fine my working day typically starts um about sort of half six or seven i I take the wife to the station i come back i make coffee i i'm usually at my desk i find myself i work better between the hours of like eight and sort of like one and then sort of like I work quite well again from sort of three onwards you know that sort of like after lunch period I'm kind of like always a bit sort of um, uh, struggling to get back into it but um, so yeah I I kind of try and keep it fairly normal I know I've spoke to loads of freelancers that kind of you know will work in the middle of the night and stuff but I'm very much um, you know try and keep it fairly office hours if you like because then I you know my work balance is quite good and I can walk the dog and stuff when as and when I want so um as long as I put the hours in and the projects get done then you know like uh, my clients seem happy
0: okay that's that's really interesting I like the fact that you are quite disciplined on your times so I think as a freelancer it's very easy to just go well I'm in the office already I'm on to crack on or yeah this project's not finished yet I need to keep going
1: yeah I have spoken to a lot of people that uh, you know say to me I don't know how you work from home I, I find it really hard I find it you know I can't get anything done or I'm just too easily distracted and I guess it's just more to do with the fact of I think one I prefer being busy if I've got lots on I'm more disciplined if I don't have a lot on or if I'm having a couple of quiet days it really distracts me from my creativity and I find it really hard to get back into and I think you know doing it for 11 years on my own you do form a discipline and I I think you know it it does become a bit of a skill you know people do sort of think of it of oh well you work from home so you must not work but you know like I, I don't think we'd survive if we didn't work so um you know I can confirm freelancers who work from home do actually put hours in but um within reason
0: (laughs) well that's why you do it I guess though isn't it you want that flexibility in your life you want to have a bit more control over your hours and you know where you do it you mentioned there something about well there was two things actually one was around getting back into it after after lunch for example I think everyone struggles to do this especially with massive lunch what sort of regimes do you have to kind of give yourself that focus and how you're going to finish the day or
1: usually it it really is a case of you put the timer on you know like I I use um free agent to track my time and invoices and stuff and I you know I press the the timer button and I'm you know I'm back at work and um it doesn't always work like that way and like you can sort of struggle with for example if you need answers from clients that aren't available you know you always have to try and manage your time in a way that you know you you're prepared for the day so you know there's that but uh on the whole it's kind of again a bit of experience with discipline really but it it doesn't always go that well you know sometimes you can lose a day and be like well I haven't had the things I need so therefore you know it's technically it's not all your fault, but you are aware that, you know, your time is billable. So if you do decide the fact that actually there's nothing at play here, you know, I can't, there's nothing I can get on with, you probably are going to sacrifice some of your earnings. But, you know, that comes back to the work-life balance. I'd much rather work on something and get it a good job done and know that i've earned that money then just basically you know say retainer and be like well you've not given me any work so i'm off you know so uh, <laughs> all that kind of stuff is uh, good fun to play with
0: um, you also mentioned the international clients um australia singapore america so with that sort of discipline nine to five eight to four whatever you do how do you make that work with all those people and how do you give so that expectation up front as well
1: Well, most of my abroad clients seem to be sort of like the east coast of America. So Boston, um, New York, uh, that kind of side of things. And they kind of come online quite early because... um, I believe there's like a five hour time difference or something whereas if you I have worked with people in San Francisco and stuff and and that is more like an eight hour time difference um the difference with working with those kind of clients is you have to just basically prepare for the day ahead so for example you'll need to arrange a call at the end of your day previously when they're awake and just make sure that you know like you've got everything you need to go and do in some ways it's quite nice because you don't get interruptions you don't get phone calls you you just basically do the work and then pitch it to them at the end of the day and then they'll have feedback waiting for you in the morning but like recently in recent years I have sort of done more work with US clients um, sorry UK clients and less and less with the the US and um unsure why that is but um, it, sometimes I get you know really busy with international work and sometimes it's people in coventry you know so
0: (laughs) literally down the road from you then i guess yeah yeah. nice so can you give us an example of some of the clients you've worked with over the last couple of years
1: oh i've worked with all sorts really probably no real names that you'll you'll know but like um a lot of startups and growing tech companies for example and uh, again i'm very fortunate to work with companies that um in all sorts of areas so um you know uh, i've like banking i've done uh social media we've done uh sort of like internet of things like uh, i've worked on a couple of companies who both sort of talked to each other and said you should work with this guy um who do like you know bluetooth locks and design their software um you know like uh crowdsourcing websites and apps and you know charity apps you, you pretty much you name it i've worked on it over the years it, it's given me quite a nice broad outlook on so when a pro- a new project comes in there's usually something I can relate to and um it's quite rare that it's something that i've not it, it. At one point it was quite frustrating because you know it's like everybody wanted a Facebook feed you know type app and and that kind of seems to be moving away a bit more and people seem their products seem to have more of their own character these days rather than just trying to emulate other apps so um, and you'll always get an element of that but on the whole yeah it's I've worked on most sectors I'd say for better or worse and some stuff that you know you kind of in the early days I used to take on projects that I didn't really believe in just to earn the money because I needed to earn the money and typically those products would never go anywhere and in recent years about two years ago I made the decision to only work on stuff that actually I believe would work as a product and something that I can you know fully put myself behind and that's really helped because you know you're more passionate about the output and as a designer and a freelancer I think you you need to make some tough decisions in terms of who you work for and I've had people who were trying to pay me double my rate and stuff for products that I just you know wouldn't put my name to and you know and you know all sorts of like (laughs) adult entertainment type stuff that um and I've just had to you know even ideas that vulgar or companies like you know I, I believe at one point i was approached by ukip or something like that and you know things like that and you're just like um i'm not interested sorry you know no matter what the earnings is it's not worth it so so there is an element of morals to it i guess
0: it's really interesting actually because so there's a couple of things that caught my attention one you're quite lucky that you get to pick and choose the work you want to work on so then that gives you that extra motivation to want to yeah. do it, and you know you're going to focus, and you want you want to do the best product for them. So yeah, that's interesting. The other point is the fact that you've not kind of niched down into an area that you think you're stronger. You've kept your options really open. So I'm just I want to pick out those two points. It's it's quite nice that you've been able to do both of them really.
1: Yeah, I think then uh, I I'm kind of niche to a. Uh iOS and web app responsive app design. I don't tend to do much of Android or other items, you know, I don't really do watch OS. I don't tend to do, you know, other sort of Windows kind of platforms and things like that. So I I do kind of focus on iOS and web apps and you know, sort of progressive web apps I guess. So but yeah, in terms of inside those boundaries, yeah, I I kind of, you know, I, I find it quite interesting to work on something. So for example, at the moment I'm working on a company that's like a not-for-profit that is trying to reinvent volunteering and it's really challenging because you have to work with charities that are typically old-fashioned and won't want to think like Snapchat they don't want to be Airbnb but we need to try and work out how we can work through that so there's a lot of kind of, you know, some days I find myself not even at my computer. <laughs> I just really like, I don't know what, I need to think, I need to think. Uh, but that's what the hammocks for, so that's good.
0: I, I think you covered about that it's the fact that you're not niched down into a, a sector, for example, where a lot of people tend to go, well, I'm really strong in I don't know, retail or whatever it might be. You've kept your options open and it gives you that flexibility, I guess. You mentioned a, a little thing there as well about working with people. And I think working in isolation as a freelancer, you don't get to interact with people much. So how have you tried to make that healthier for you to make sure you're not going insane just sitting at your screen for eight hours a day
1: I think being busy is is a huge part of it um and I have when I wasn't busy in the early days when you know like I was earning sort of like six grand a year and you know just sort of scraping by and you know building websites even though I'm not a website builder for like 600 pound you know just completely just devaluing myself you do have your low moments and it is uh tough and I think you know I've recently moved house and into a really nice con- like sort of um area where it's, there's lots of countryside and we've got a dog so that helps me get out the house and you know little things like that I, I go to a lot of fitness classes and stuff like that so things like that have in the last sort of like 18 months of really well I mean maybe three years with the dog but like has really helped me just kind of get out because otherwise you know it is very easy to just be they see not see anybody and I do like my own company I'm very much like my mother in that sense my mom is quite happy with you know not seeing anybody and just you know doing her own thing and that is very much myself as well and you know my wife is always sort of encouraging me to go out and do things and I'm like oh but I quite like my own company so um you know I'm very comfortable with that and I think that is one of the things about getting older you know I'm 38 now so I'm sort of like approaching 40 and I'm very very comfortable in my own skin (laughs)
0: <laughs> Scary you say that because I'm, I'm very similar. I'm, I'm approaching forty next year, and I'm starting to realise, you know, what what is important in life. You know, what, what brings me joy, and quite frankly, it's my children. They're their the most important thing to me. I enjoy my job don't get me wrong, but it's all about my kids. So yeah, trying to find that healthy balance. Um, and like you, I wouldn't live out in the sticks. I'm surprised we've got internet strong enough to make this call at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the fact that you had, you've got the dog, you've got the environment, you've got reasons to leave the house. You use social media to your advantage as well. And you find clients that yeah. like to work with you as well, like face to face.
1: Yeah, I I'm really lucky with the client side of things because uh, because my website is fairly visible on Google, um, I get a lot of inquiries, not so much these days, you know, but in like 2015, it was insane. I had like 500 one year, you know, and you can only probably do 10 or 20 of them if, if you're lucky, really. And um, so definitely Google doesn't love me as much as it used to, but I still get enough. And the the nice thing is, is. Uh, my portfolio people come to me and contact me because they 've already seen my work, so it's not like a developer where like "Can you do this project? can you cross this project It's very much like I know you do design, I like what you do, I want my design in your style, so you 've already kind of done the hard bit by just them coming to you so in some ways it you know I am very lucky that you know when I get inquiries most of it comes down to cost rather than you know presentations and having to pitch for work it is just purely you know cost based stuff and you know i i try and price fairly reasonable but you know at the same token is you know even if it takes 2 or 3 days the value that they'll get in the long term is outweighs any cost they'll ever pay me
0: so it sounds like you've established your brand, your house style over those years. You've matured. You've understood your skills and ability. You don't need to go chasing for leads; they come to you. They just—it's just literally okay. What can you afford? And you know, are we the right fit now? So it's nice. It sounds like you've got a nice balance now
1: yeah and I I always need to like um a couple years ago I did I was too busy to put any energy into my website and stuff and I saw a big drop in inquiries and stuff and then at one point for a couple of like three months or so that was um really tough and I had to sort of like pay somebody to do some SEO and stuff and kind of you know do all that stuff to try and get me up there and it's it but I think it started to work in the last sort of like six to twelve months and um so it is frustrating because you can be really busy and really tunneled and then you come out of that tunnel and then suddenly your pipelines dried up and you know you've got nowhere to go so it is a a bit of a a cycle a life cycle if you will for you know getting clients winning clients and retaining them
0: really you mentioned there actually the fact that you paid someone to do your SEO I think personally I would not have done that I would have tried it myself but it's really interesting that you know your skills now and you're you're giving up your money to find the right people to do the right job for you as well.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't, I mean, I can do SEO myself and, you know, it's very much a WordPress kind of, you know, Yoast uh, uh, approach. But the stuff that I know would only get me so far, whereas the stuff that uh, a guy again, a guy called Zach on um, Twitter, he basically uh, spoke to him and he gave me so much like help before I even engaged with him. I knew he was the right person to work with. And basically he has an element of normal SEO but obviously the technical stuff so you know I'm not a hugely technical person when it comes to code and stuff and you know sort of all that thing so he was very much he did a document as if to say if you if you go through this tick list and you do all these things for your website you know your traffic should improve and you know, I've dropped the ball again in the last three months because I've been busy. But like today, this morning was the first time I've updated my website in like, you know, six months and kind of, um, it's quite exciting when you've published new stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I knew that I could do it, but I'd rather get that professional opinion to do it right. Because I know the, again, if you spend a thousand pounds on say SEO, that thousand pounds may turn into a hundred thousand pounds of new work. It's like my laptop. I um, I just off air. We were talking, I've just ordered a new Apple laptop and the cost was about three and a half grand. But I know that if that lasts me, uh, four or five years, you know, it's probably like one or half a percent of the actual cost. you know, that it will earn me. So, um, you know, you do have to invest in stuff. I don't like doing it. Trust me. I much prefer the money in the bank. (laughs) for holidays and such but uh sometimes you do have to make those decisions
0: you do and uh, you make a fair point like i say we were talking off air about the the fact you've bought this new mac the shiny new 16 inch three and a half grand so that specs up a little bit then but like you say as someone who uses that that's your tool that's your tool of the trade which will last you years it's not that bad an investment to you know compared to what a lot of other trades have to do you know so
1: and and you think about the outgoings as well of the business you know like what sketch is probably like 100 pound a year figma's free i think i pay like 20 pound a month for Invision, which i don't really use but it's got all my archive of prototypes on so like kind of i can't really get rid of it just yet i haven't really worked that out um so you know in terms of running a cost, i think an accountant cost me 100 quid so yeah in terms of the cost that laptop you know it's nothing really in the grand scheme of things
0: No, it's a good point. Right, we talked a lot about work. Um, Let's talk a little bit about health and well-being. You just mentioned that you've moved house. You're living in the rural sticks now. So, how's that going for you? How do do you feel the benefits already, or what's going on?
1: So much, like we. I I was born and raised in Solihull, and we had a house in Solihull for many years. And um, we needed uh, a bigger house, and we had to eventually move out. So we found a really beautiful Victorian house over in Telford because, like the the house prices were so much cheaper. And we were there for three years. And as as soon as we opened the the key to the front door the neighbor it was a terrace house and the neighbor was playing queen at the top of the and we we quickly realized that he was a bit of a uh, a drug alcoholic he wasn't a very nice man and he made our life hell for about 18 months and when you open the door to your brand new house that's kind of the the sort of last thing you really want and um he moved out and then other people moved in and they were still quite noisy and stuff like that and it kind of really gave us a paranoia around noise and sensitivity and so at the end of the three years we were do we remortgage or do we get a new house and we thought well let's try and see what we can afford and luckily the banks were very favorable and we now moved to Shrewsbury, which is very, very, I would say, middle class. It's very, it's a middle class area, I guess. Um, <laughs> and we've got a nice house in a nice neighbourhood, and it, it really has transformed how we feel about ourselves because you know like we have very much learned a lot about ourselves in that time that we're really sensitive to sound and people and we want to feel safe and stuff and you know that's and then that's led to like sort of more of a fitness push from being in an environment where you feel you know like relaxed with yourself really
0: um when our little when our son was born we decided with work let's move out of the city and find somewhere a bit more like the suburbs i guess just a little bit more relaxed and then as we've kind of got older we've moved out into older houses it's it's like this weird correlation the older you get the more you appreciate older buildings um, <laughs> so yeah we're our, our property now is like 1800s it's sort of really old so i get it you know it, it draws you in it makes you feel a lot better you, you enjoy life a bit more it feels more at ease i guess less going on quite a lot of Quiet times, yeah, and you mentioned about the fitness as well. I'm like you, I, I'm now I'm out here in sticks, I use it to my advantage for walking and running, yeah. And I think you've been doing similar recently. Can you what's, what's been going on with your fitness?
1: Yeah. So, um, my, I mean, my wife has always been much fitter than me and she kind of at the start of the year in January, um, uh, she's, well, I mean, to be fair to her, she's been going to the gym and stuff like in Birmingham where she works for a, a long time, but she, because of the train back to Shrewsbury is quite a, it's like an hour or so. Um, it's quite a journey and the gym never really worked for her. So she phoned around and found a local gym that's like, you know sort of like a 5 minute walk away from us that is run by like a really nice kind of husband and wife and basically like she started going to their classes and she was you know raving about it and you know sort of saying oh it's really good and doing strength training and stuff and she was like you should go you should go they do it they do a men's session on a Thursday uh, you should you should go and do it and um and I was like oh I don't know I don't know if I want fitness and It was the same year turning 37 that I realized my body was breaking and my back was in agony and I was getting a bit bloated and I had a bit of a stomach on me and all all sorts of stuff like that. And the confidence wasn't there, but I thought, you know what, let me throw myself in it and see what we did. And that first day session became... Thursday and a Tuesday session. And then now I do PT with the guy on Monday. So I do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, I've got a home gym set up. So I do a, a Saturday workout. And, you know, sort of, uh, yeah, I'm becoming a, a little bit addicted to lifting weights. And especially what you know, I've completely changed my diet. I've, um, I've always had bad skin. So I went and saw uh, a nutritionist and I had a food diary and she basically said everything you're putting into your body is an inflammatory, that's why you've got terrible skin. So I cut dairy, I cut sugar, I cut wheat, to a degree I, at the weekends i cheat you know i do cheat probably more than i should but like i lost a lot of weight i'm kind of slowly building that back up and yeah I, i'm absolutely loving it it's um I, I could it's probably a subject i could talk about too much so please stop me <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm not gonna stop you because I, I, i've been very similar recently I, I, like you i've kind of got to that age i think i should look after myself a bit more i, I was at points when i was work, when i was working in London. I've got a run for my train, which is about, um, I think it's about a mile in total for, from the office to Houston. And I was literally wheezing on the train <laughs> because from the run. I thought, I'm not that old. I should be able to do this. Yeah. So th- this was probably yeah. about a year, year, two years ago. Um, and I started using the gym at work and doing a bit more fitness and stuff. Starting myself up with some challenges to go and do some long walks. And again, in the last month I've been on it, you know, I've been using the gym virtually every day or maybe other day um, where I can and I'm feeling the benefit, and dietary-wise as well. I'm, I'm th- cut out all the wheat, because that just does not agree with me at all. Sugar is really low, but I will treat myself, you know, biscuits here and there, chocolate cake and what have you. I can't be a complete, like, fast, don't touch anything. I've
1: seen the trolley. You saw the trolley. I've seen the trolley on <laughs> at ASOS, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's good.
1: But, yeah, same with me, you know, like, I'm like probably the fittest I've ever been in my life and you know like I, I think my goal at the moment is to be like kind of one of those like when I get to 40 be absolutely you know kind of ripped and just be like yeah that's awesome uh and uh and then see where that goes from there but um it it just changes so much like I've got so much more energy I would always peak I'd always be like kind of low and then high and then low and you know I would like really need sort of power naps and stuff and now I, my energy levels are so so much more level and and funnily going without going back into the work since i've been doing my fitness you know i'm so much more billable because i put the time in and i'm more focused and i'm you know more level at work it's um it's quite interesting how they all sort
0: of play against each other it's true though and i think you you were saying earlier like your afternoon lull you just couldn't get back into it but i think i, I don't know now but it sounds like you have probably found a better level now you just go I don't need a big lunch. A little salad or something will keep me going and then I'll be all right for the afternoon. I don't need that coffee and cake in the afternoon.
1: Although my PT is trying to get me to eat a lot of calories, like um, I'm just not a big eater and he's like, oh, you, you know, I'm so level. Every time he weighs me, I'm the same. I'm literally the same over and over and over. And he was like, "Well, at least you're consistent." And so I'm trying at the moment. The last couple of weeks, just eating more food, and I just like I hate it. it's so boring. Food's so boring. I just like keep stuffing it in, and it's like, okay, well, eventually that will turn into muscle.
0: It's a fair point. I mean, if you're not, if you don't enjoy food, it's harder. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're not like a big foodie, let's say, it's hard. I'm. I like cooking. I don't know about you though
1: yeah yeah I do yeah but it's hard when you cut out all the treats like as you say all the sugary stuff in the week you know like um I used to love a bottle of coke and you know a sort of meal deal and that kind of stuff but like when you cut that out there's no treats so I'm trying to re-educate myself in terms of actually you know like having uh you know a nice salad with a bit of bacon or something and some like boiled eggs or whatever is a treat and it's like uh, but I really just want jammy dodgers you know (laughs) I see that will never that will never go away
0: I I will always want junk I think I'm like you I, I, I treat myself occasionally but yeah the idea of the meal deal is so unhealthy it's just like bread and crisps with coke that's not helping this society (laughs) I'm quite happy to have a tasty salad with some nice cheese and meat in there and some you know some dressings the only treat I do find is uh, root vegetable crisps not potato
1: yeah I find like the meal deals as well like so much like plastic waste and stuff and you you do have to try and think about this stuff as uh, I mean you know not that anybody else does but you know it's one of those things isn't it
0: (laughs) we try I'm with you on that the amount of waste is disgusting good right okay we've done health we've done work let's talk side projects which you you alluded to earlier you, one of your earlier stages you built a game directional um do you want to tell us a bit about that and what you know what prompted you how that go where did it go with it as well
1: yeah so i mean as soon as iphones became a thing i would always be playing puzzle games you know like the candy crushes that kind of you know bejeweled stuff i, I was always addicted to puzzle games and um i just liked the idea you know i, I was always playing them in front of the tv and stuff like that and uh one day I had the idea of um, sort of a swiping game where like you had basically up, down, left, right and you kind of merged. So the corners of the screen, the blocks would fall from different corners and you, so you had to swipe left to get rid of the left blocks and you guessed it, directional kind of arrows would form from different ways. And um, it was my first kind of folly into it. And again, I learned a lot since then. And, uh, you know, I I paid a a developer about six grand to build it and then later realized that he outsourced it to somebody else for about two grand. So, you know, (laughs) fun, you know. So you always learn this sort of stuff. But um, and I I later went on to... partner with a guy in America who basically sort of like bought into it and he sort of like paid me sort of half the money back to be a developer on it and you know he's kind of running with it now and stuff and I believe it still exists to a degree but um Again, I don't think either of us have very much time to sort of think about it. So it's kind of just in the in the background there somewhere. But the thing that was really good about that is it sort of like, you know, it was portfolio work. It was tangible. It was something that I could show people. And um, although it wasn't a commercial success, I tried to um, sell it uh for a couple of quid and it didn't really I think I sold a couple of them and then I made it free and I think it was uh featured on a few free app promos and I think we got about 50,000 downloads but other than that you know it was more of a, a learning exercise than a, a commercial exercise which seems to be quite a trend with my side projects
0: <laughs> yes so I mean I, I love the, the story behind your directional game I've, I've never gone into the iOS world I've I like the idea of it but I just the idea of coding in another language is just above me right now. <laughs> but I love the fact that you, you know, you, you outsourced it and they outsourced it, <laughs> which yeah. must have been a bit of a kicker. But there are some successes around it. You know, you tried paid, you tried free, you got you got downloads, you got promotions out of it, and like you say, it's portfolio work.
1: Yeah, and it's something you can talk to real clients about. So when they say, I've got this app, uh, I want to pay so much for it. I say, well, you know, you do realize it's very, very hard to get people to pay for your app. So, you know, there are a lot of kind of, you know, here's my experience. And I think clients do really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point, actually, from your experience. If you share that with your clients, that shows one authenticity again, a bit more experience, and you're learning as you go along, which is one of the best traits I can find in people generally nowadays um you mentioned that it's a bit of a pattern in your side project world you built a app called Howler I did yeah you have to tell us a bit more about this but you actually sunset that after a while as well so I'll be interested to hear your story about again what prompted you to build it how it went and what, how you ended it as well
1: Yeah, so um, Howler was a, a joke writing app where one person would set up a joke and then the community of writers would finish the joke and you would end up with, like, say... 20 different versions of the same joke, if you will. Um, and it, and then people would vote on it and, you know, the best jokes rose to the top and people, there was a leaderboard and all sorts of stuff. And it was, it was a really great project to work with. And I partnered with, um, a a guy called Martin who would sort of build the MVP as sort of like a sort of joint ownership of the product. Um, uh, and then we later took on a guy called Lee, who was a very, technical guy who'd worked with martin previously and he sort of took um another sort of chunk of the the project and it was one of those things that it was fairly successful for a really small amount of people you know we ended up getting up to a hundred thousand jokes um i really had to drive the the product like i really had to be on there quite often and push the jokes set up jokes you know make sure it was going to twitter make sure it was going to facebook really drive it and what ended up happening is I noticed a pattern the more time I had to put into it which was earning me no money the better it was doing but there was still no commercial aspect to it so what ended up happening was my I decided to put more time into the freelance and actually earn money and less time into Howler and all that happened really in that sense was the users dropped off because I wasn't pushing it as much and it's kind of a bit of a a vicious circle and we tried to um, turn that MVP into a bit of a fully fledged product but we tried investment, We, we reached out to some people for investment and you know, a lot of the general feedback was, hey, it's a great idea, but how, you know, it doesn't really fit into the commercial world, really. And, you know, ads don't make any money. We tried ads, all sorts of things like that. Um, and it, it was just basically one of those things that people really loved and they, you know, and they still do. And I still get people on Twitter following me and saying, you know, I really miss it and things like that. And um, I recently tried to relaunch it as a Twitter account, which is still going live and it gets quite a lot of interaction, but it's nowhere near where it used to be.
0: There's so many things in that I want to pick out of (laughs) what you just (laughs) said. So part one, you said you worked with Martin and Lee to start building. Well, you built it with Martin and introduced Lee later on. That idea of reaching out and collaborating, how did you go about that? And how did you make that work between a, a few of you if you're all freelancing as well?
1: So Martin actually approached me for some work in the early days and um, we originally started trading hours. I'd work on his startup that he had um, and then he'd work on mine and eventually it got to the point where, you know, the stuff I needed for Howler would outweigh what I was doing for him. So I kind of offered him like 20% of the business. It's not a huge amount. And I think that's one of the things I, I've learned since then is actually, you know what? I think if you were going to do this sort of stuff, you need to be fairly 50 50 because I wouldn't put much time into it for 20% either. So, um you know, and then development sort of like, you know, would hit sort of stuff like, hey, everybody's busy. We can't work on this. And, you know, um so there, you know nothing against Martin or Lee you know like kind of those those guys were brilliant and I wouldn't have even got anywhere without them but in hindsight I think kind of you you probably need it to be a, a more of a full-time project for it to go anywhere and you know it needs more from day one it probably needed more commercial outlook as well you know it needed to really have that kind of where's the money coming from and we never really worked that out we had ideas but really no
0: yeah, that's a good point. I mean, this is another thing I want to pull out from what you were saying. If you can't commit the time to it, you should probably realise is it worth continuing? So you said, you know, you, whenever you put the effort in, you saw the response. Yeah. But then yeah. it wasn't providing a, an income, let's say, to, to justify doing that. So, I mean, being aware of that and taking that, making an action out of it is probably it's something you should be proud of, quite frankly. Yeah,
1: and I am. I, I am definitely. I think I always had in the mind that all like the comedians would come to the platform and be really, you know, they'd want to engage with their fans. It was the original idea was it was very much like a professional comedian platform that would have like, you know, a bit like Twitch, you know, like people can be fans and, you know, do that sort of stuff. But the reality is, is that like professional comedians won't want to give away material and they certainly wouldn't want to engage in people who think they're funny because that's their job you know they want to be funny so um we did experiment with you know sponsored stuff like kind of you know like hey this is a pot noodle sponsored whatever and it's just um the amount of investment and stuff you needed to get to it where it needed to be you needed like I always seem to have these ideas that require you know millions of users to make it viable and you know sadly you only get about three or four thousand and you know but that's life (laughs) Uh, the
0: final thing I want to pull out on that actually was the fact that you the people loved it and you probably had a like an emotional connection to what you built is was was something you wanted to make so you're emotionally connected other people enjoyed it so you, you feel like you're expected to continue it even though it's not you know feasible how did you beat that quite frankly because I, I struggle with it personally
1: so we you know still have a a chat group on Twitter with some of the howler people, and you know we still occasionally people you know post there saying, "How is everybody and stuff you know so it's a re- it was always a really lovely community, even how no matter how small it was, it was always a really good connected community and I was very honest with quite a number of the users about like, you know, the fact that certain stuff isn't working and, you know, there's frustrations and, you know, somebody would come to me and be like, oh, the website's really slow. And i would be like, yeah, it's broken. <laughs> and then have to, and then have to beg Paul Lee to fix it, you know, like kind of, and that sort of stuff. And after, after, so, you know, five or 10 times of fixing a website, that is clearly just buckling under the amount of content we were producing, which is a great, thing to do, you know, I think when I made the decision to close it it was purely about the fact that it's not really going anywhere there's no commercial avenue for it. Um we don't have any time to invest in it. Um, you know, people are moving on. The the audience had dropped. So, you know, at one point I think we were getting like fifty, sixty thousand, maybe even eighty thousand views a month or something like that. And then, you know, it was dropping to ten thousand, twenty thousand, whatever. You know, it's it was clearly the the trend had peaked and it I'd missed it basically. So um I made the decision and and just because I'm an evil evil cruel person I decided to close it on April 1st
0: oh and there's the comedy element of what you're trying to do <laughs> yeah yeah you know you've got it <laughs> oh no you made something of it though and I, I think you probably learned quite a lot from that I think that the, the key there was knowing when it was time to say goodbye yeah you use those numbers to your advantage if you can see that the numbers aren't there then yeah you know it's, it's time yeah definitely I think people have this emotional connection. It's very difficult to say, "Oh, I've got to stop doing it." I, I mean, I've got domain names that I've done nothing with for nearly probably fifteen years. Nearly, <laughs> I should probably let them go, but they are—they just got that emotional connection, and I do feel like at some point it'll be worth doing something with it.
1: It's actually quite liberating, like if you've got a project that is you're purely doing for yourself or a handful of people, and it's been years. when I closed it down I was kind of like wow okay I don't have to think about this stuff it it clears up so and and funnily enough I always assumed that my one of my reasons why I wanted to close it down was to work on the next idea and since then in like two years or something I've I've had several ideas but none that have really stood out and I, I really sort of imagined that I would jump onto the next idea and you know that would be the one but Actually, I've given myself quite a lot of time off from thinking about doing stuff that is just going to cost me money and time <laughs> and stress and stuff like that. And it, it's quite nice. It, it really is.
0: And you, you feel better for it. You say about your lifestyle, you just you know your capacity now, which is great. Yeah. Right. We talked a lot about work, health, uh, side projects and stuff like that. What the hell do you do to just relax? You know, what, what, should, what do you do out of hours?
1: uh so yeah I walk the dog which I quite like Uh, we've got a three-year-old cockapoo called Betsy Uh, she's a great big uh, white fluffy thing um well she's little really she's not big she's big in big in my heart anyway um (laughs) and um so I watch a lot of tv I'm really obsessed with tv box sets you know like um I kind of consume them all I'm just sort of like addicted to it and I, I kind of you know I love being absorbed by it all. I think it's, um, you know, amazing. We live in such an amazing world with streaming services and all the things that are coming as well in the next couple of years, like Disney Plus and all sorts, is going to be interesting for the UK market anyway. I just like my own time. We go out for cocktails with the wife and friends. We'll go for long walks. We'll, um, you know, exercise again is, you know, a, a big space for me to relax. Quite often before a workout i'm like oh i don't want to do this i don't want to do this and then i come back and i'm absolutely you know sort of like buzzing so um from that side of things but yeah no i think i'm like to be fair i'm quite a boring person my wife will say i'm quite a boring person but you know like it's all good it it it, it works for me
0: (laughs) you got it working you seem happy you got Health and advantage you've got work coming in you know your limits and i think it sounds like you've got a good balance of that stuff going on
1: yeah no definitely i like to make people laugh just recorded a bit of a a funny christmas podcast improv thing with a couple of friends at the weekend and uh we we've got to edit that and stuff so i'd quite like to do that a bit longer term and uh it was uh it was just fun being really stupid with some
0: old friends I like the fact that you're getting on the podcast bandwagon again as well. A lot of people are doing this, and I, I've been doing podcasts for too many years, to be honest. I've not done the speaking part, I've always done like the music side of it. I don't know if you've seen it all, but I've got like this house music podcast that I've been doing since 2005. So when you were saying earlier about letting things go, I think I've got to that point where there are awesome people out there doing this now, and I don't really have the time, but I still have this sort of emotional connection to doing it. And there are a few people that follow and that they keep engaging, going, great to see another mix go out. I'm like, don't say that because I want someone to say, just stop doing it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're trying to find little projects to do on the side that aren't major commitments
1: that's the thing that like, so I used to do when we did howler, I used to do a howler uh, podcast called the howler cast and we take jokes from the week and we, and, and people really liked it. We only had like a, you know, hundred listeners or whatever a week, but you know, it, it was fun. It was really good fun to do. And this podcast, we just kind of recorded. I've always wanted to do a bit of improv and do silly voices and kind of, you know, I, I'm a really creative person. So I, I tell a story and I'll, I, I'll throw stuff out there just to sort of try and offend or confuse uh, my friends friend sitting opposite me and it's just it's such a good fun and I want to try and do that more um, like my friend Alex is a, a kid now and so you don't see much of him and Stuart moved away to London so I don't see much of him so you know when we did get into that room together for the first time in like I don't know a year or whatever it was just so fun it's just so much fun but um, yeah so I want to do more stuff like that and I've got all the podcast equipment so I should be doing stuff but as you said it really needs to just be if it works for you then keep doing it i think howler at one point stopped working for me and i fell out of love with it so as soon as you you'll know when that time comes and you just got to make that tough decision really
0: you have but you've got to enjoy what you do and that's i think that's what you've got across there yeah it's fun if you're not enjoying it stop it (laughs) if you enjoyed it do it just find the time but you do have to improvise you might have to want to hook up with uh, one of the other guys I've I've recorded a podcast with Dom Hodgson because he does he did a comedy circuit up north oh cool he's had to to give it up a bit more now because of his lifestyles but he I think he did some improv as well so you know you'll find him on the the, on the side community if you want to hook up with him later on yeah sounds good Uh, and maybe you guys can do some joke version of this or something (laughs) we'll just leave you to it (laughs) yeah so final thing really for anyone who does want to come work in the design or tech scene what would be your number one tip
1: so what really worked with me in the early days was i designed ui so app designs and stuff for myself so i would design like a minimalist uh twitter version or a facebook thing or you know i mean those things are huge now and you probably wouldn't really get away with it but just create your own things and just get a portfolio out there because you know it really worked for me by just basically like having these fake projects and like sadly now fake projects seem to be consuming everything like if you go on Dribbble it's just full of impractical fake products that just don't work you know I've always been sent reference by clients going oh they've done this and I'm like yeah but that wouldn't work in the real world because the buttons are too small or or whatever but you know you'll learn from it just keep plugging away the you know there's so many free tools like figma is absolutely amazing and i'm quite new to figma but like it's basically like it's got prototyping it's got design it's got commenting it's got everything that you need to basically create a prototyped app design in for a free package you know there's so many tutorials out there you know we live in a world that we're just sort of blessed with loads of free content just go out there and do something really. Show as many people as you can. You know, get feedback. Just don't be shy. Don't don't be afraid of failure because you know. you I think we've all learned with the side projects is you do have to fail, but every failure is a new thing you've learned that you won't do next time.
0: Oh, that's very wise. It's, it's a nice ending to that. But I, I agree with you completely. You know, you need to build up your portfolio. Find these fake projects as you call them. To, even if it's just a concept, just go and have a hack around in. A, you know sketch or figure for a bit
1: but I I don't ever work for free working for free you know nobody wants to work for free if somebody wants you to test out your app design skills or whatever charge something even if it's you know like 500 quid or whatever just to sort of you know keep it worth your while just don't work for free nobody wants to work for free I always get oh this would be great for your portfolio be really great for your career no it won't it won't don't do it (laughs)
0: I like that as well. (laughs) It never worked for free. I mean, if people are worried about spending money on you or they haven't got the budget, just say, fine, you you buy me a laptop then when you've got the budget come in or something. Just give them a contract saying, I'll build you a website if you give me a computer at the end of it or something.
1: And and one of my biggest uh, things to do is double your rates. Just Uh, double your rates. Seriously, whatever you're earning, somebody will pay double and then you don't have to work as hard. So do that
0: well pro tip from a seasoned veteran then
1: (laughs) that's only because i've spent years and years earning not a lot of money and then you kind of realize it's not worth the effort and um someone a friend of a friend once explained it to me said that like if you're pitching for work and there's three designers you're one of the designers let's say two designers are charging 60 pound an hour and you're charging 25 pound an hour then you're going to look cheap you should be charging £60 an hour. And then they will always pick the person in the middle or towards the top. And if you are half the rate of everybody out there going to think, like, what's wrong with this guy? And <laughs> it's it's true. It really, It's really helped me in that career. That little conversation in a... Com- I, I, I've only met him a couple of times since and um, a friend of my friend, Ben, I I believe he was called Ant, he he just told me that bit of advice and that has really stuck with me and uh, it's really helped my career. So, you know, little tidbits like that that you pick up along the way are just
0: (laughs) valuable, really. It is very valuable. That's good stuff and I think that helps anyone who's listening in to this. You know, if you want to go out there, don't value your work. Maybe make sure that you are on a decent market rate and don't undercut people because all it does is... Everyone loses out on yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff, dude. I think that is all. Do you want to wrap up and just tell our wonderful audience how they can find your stuff, how they can get in contact, and maybe follow you on your health kick, maybe?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you can see my work on mikehints.com. So that is M I K E H I N C E.com. Uh, that's all my portfolio stuff, uh, my business things. Instagram, Twitter, I'm zero Mike with uh, zero instead of spelling it you know zero as in zeddy r zero mike um especially on instagram i post a lot of uh, silly things on the instagram stories including like workout pics and stuff so if you're interested in seeing a skinny man pose always you're more than welcome to uh, engage (laughs) always yeah (laughs) Uh, and that's it really um yeah uh I don't really do the modern ones like snapchat and stuff I'm, I'm too old for that
0: we are too old for that i think all the uh, dodgy <laughs> um unicorn filters that's great mate oh thanks ever so much for joining us on the make life work podcast as always absolute pleasure to have you on board uh make sure you keep showing your stories as well i'm enjoying it it's great to see a like-minded health conscious 30 plus <laughs> living in the sticks We've got a lot in common. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, well,
1: thanks for having me. It's really good talking to
0: you. I appreciate you coming on, mate. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon, maybe next year at some point. Sounds good. Cool. For all our listeners of the show, please let us know your thoughts of the episode and all the other discussions we've had so far. You can find me on Twitter as at si Mike as mike. That's zero with a zero. So r zero Mike. Or if you prefer, you can email jobling.com with any of your thoughts. The Make Life Work podcast is available on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and most popular podcast apps on the market. So make sure you subscribe and leave a rating or a review for us. For all the series archives, show notes, and links to where you can find everything, pop along to my website, cyjopling.com slash make life work. If you'd like to come on the podcast to share your story, get in touch and we'll work something out. You can also join me and some of the other people from Side Project Community on the side by visiting ontheside.network and that will take you straight through to our Slack workspace. That's all from me. Take care.